the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Worldview Media Podcast, where Gordon and Joyce Runyon view popular media through the lens of the biblical five-point covenant model to help believers appreciate and apply principles of exciting narrative and engaging storytelling. Coming to you live from inside the Liberty Bell, it's the Worldview <laughs> Media Podcast. <laughs> Part of the Reconstructionist Reformed Podcast Network, Reconstructionist Radio Reformed Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for all your dominionizing needs, the Worldview Media Podcast, here to help you kick off your weekend Maybe a family movie night is in store. Maybe. I'm here, and my name is Gordon Runyon. (laughs) 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 And with me... (laughs) Hanging out inside a bell. Hanging out inside a bell. It's my co-host... Miss Joyce, hello. Hello. And our other co-host, Jordan. Uh, hello. Hello. And we decided to take a blast from the past, and we're going to review the show National Treasure. Yeah. Uh, I, it's easy to find. It's always on somewhere. And uh, <laughs> they play it on TV quite a bit, I feel like. And yeah, it comes on sometimes. Yeah, so we watched a DVD, and it's uh, Nicolas Cage at his cagey best. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so to uh, kick off the plot of this movie and overall feel for the movie, we have Nicolas Cage playing a man named... Benjamin Franklin Gates. Uh-huh. And the thing is that the Gates family has a long history with uh, Freemasonry. And there's a tale that's been passed down from generation to generation about how uh, the last surviving guy who knew anything about this gigantic Templar treasure mm-hmm. died and passed on a clue to the first Gates guy. Well, yeah. maybe not the first, but great, 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 great grandpa. Yeah. He was not a Freemason. No, he didn't know anything. And then, but he got the clue. Yeah. And so, generations have been searching for this treasure. And the thing about the treasure is it's connected with the Knights Templar. And they spe- specified it was during the First Crusade that they came across this treasure underneath Solomon's Temple. Yeah. Must have been the place where it used to be. There was no actual <laughs> temple during the Crusade. <laughs> yeah. Solomon's not wasn't there anyway. And uh, so they they find this gigantic treasure that like spins back to ancient Egypt and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And and then over the centuries it grew and they had like Inca and Aztec treasure and just from wherever it happened to there be. There was treasure, yeah. And so the 
the Templars, the Freemasons, decided at some point that the treasure was too big for any one person to have, any one king to be in control of, and the plan was to hide the treasure. And so they hid it, but they hid it while maintaining some clues so that it wouldn't be lost forever if somebody could figure out the clues. Yeah. And so that's the plot of the movie, that now this Benjamin Gates is on the trail of the treasure. And the whole movie is really just him pursuing one clue after another. Yeah. Now, apparently at some point then in colonial days, the the Templar treasure gets moved to colonial America. and And so all the clues now are have to do with that era of American history. Right. Because that's who was making the clues. Yeah. Well, that's who was hiding. Yeah, they're yeah. making and hiding. And so one of the big plot points is that there's a treasure map in invisible ink on the back of the Declaration of Independence. And so the only way they can get to that treasure map is by stealing the Declaration. And now you've got the FBI and everybody else after you. And so... Mm-hmm. And, and that there are also unscrupulous bad guys looking for the same treasure at the time that Gates and his friends are looking for it. Mm-hmm. And so it's a race, a three-way race, really. The <laughs> FBI doesn't know anything about the treasure, but they're after Gates and they're after the bad guys. Uh-huh. And the bad guys are after the treasure and after Gates, and so uh, hilarity ensues. <laughs> well, Gates only gets the declaration because the other guy is going to get it. Right. He steals it to protect it. He knows the bad guys are going to get it and probably destroy it in the process of trying to figure out the clues. Right. And he did inform the authorities. Yeah, he was always straightforward with the authorities except that you know nobody he tried not to get caught. <laughs> well, he went and told them someone's going to steal it and then nobody believed him. Right. So it's their fault, really. Yeah, it's all about the government. Right. right. Not listening Being, to the people. Yeah, not listening. Being okay. ineffective. So we just watched this, so <laughs> give me some overall thoughts. What worked, what didn't. Overall, what's your feeling? Uh, well, I thought it was pretty funny sometimes. That his little buddy Riley is, is a pretty good little comic relief sidekick character. And he's actually useful, which is nice. Because sometimes the comic relief sidekick character isn't actually that useful. But he, like, knows how to do things, and he knows stuff, certain information that's important yeah. to know. and So I think that's nice. He's he's pretty fun. Okay. All right, so you like the sidekick, but overall? But overall, well, you asked something that works, and oh, I okay. said that works. All right, all right. Well, what about you? Anything... Well, I think at the time that it was made, probably we were under different um, safety precautions. I think now a lot of the stuff that they did, you wouldn't be able to do. You wouldn't have access to buildings. You oh, was it pre-9-11? To, no, I, think, I don't think so. You don't think so? I think it was. It was 2003 or four, probably, because oh, okay. all the previews before it were movies coming out in 2004. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's probably right. Well, we can it look at it. It seemed a little lax to me that you could uh, just get into all these buildings and just walk in and not have uh, screens and scans and walk through. But well, maybe he, he did. Can. He I did walk in with the scan. He had to go in as the guy and he had the fake 
pass that the guy looked at, and then he put his thing in there and he threw the scanner thing. Two thousand four National Treasure. So. All right, and it's been played on like satellite TV <laughs> two thousand and four times. Since then. <laughs> Very clever you are. So your overall was what again? Did I miss it? <sighs> no, you didn't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cute little movie. Yeah, I think I'd probably overall give it like a B or something. Like it's not my favorite movie, but it's kind of fun. Some history info. Well, history trivia, kind of. Well, yeah, but you know, kind of fun. It's a romp. It's a romp. It's kind of a summer action film. Yeah. Except that you know, it's not. There aren't. Nobody's getting shot up really, and yeah. It's more just chasing and escaping. Well, it's a Disney movie. Right. right. So it's for the kids. It's not as violent as a lot of summer action movies can be. But Yeah. That's not a bad thing. No, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. (laughs) I'm just saying it's not terribly, terribly violent. It is exciting, though, when they get into the final place when they're close to the treasure. And now they're in this, like, dungeon underneath a... Church underneath the church and and uh it's very dangerous and rickety thrilling (laughs) yeah that's a good time i think i'd give it about a b uh it's maybe nice to have on in the background or something while you're doing something else And, (laughs) and there are some there are some moments where it's kind of funny yeah uh then they came out with National Treasure 2. No, we didn't watch that. Yeah. Not for the review here, but... <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> uh, does anything, anything strike you as different without watching National Treasure 2 again? It's been forever since we saw it, but... Uh, well, the mom is in Treasure oh, 2. Oh, yeah. I think 2, you have a lot more like relationship drama between different people. Oh, okay. So, like, the the Nicolas Cage guy and, and his girlfriend are, like, in a rocky period or something. Yeah, and right. then yeah. Riley's kind of mad at everybody because they didn't read his book that he wrote about history oh, yeah. stuff. Uh-huh. And it's all about what they're and doing. The yeah. And the mom and the dad are, you know, trying all divorced together. and stuff, trying to work together. So I feel like the second one has a lot more to do with, like personal conflicts than this one has yeah and i felt like the second one the dangerous places that they had to go and and stuff they had to survive was very (laughs) contrived and dangerous well it was just uh, a little unbelievable maybe it was so right yeah intricate or something i don't know i don't know this first one there was a lot of a lot of Hopping from here to there and having to go there and, you know, up into the icy lands to find the boat and covered under snow Well, and nobody ever and... meant for the boat to be covered under snow and ice. That's just what happened. Well, and then how do you find a boat that just happened to get under snow and ice that well, starts everything else? you have to do research. Uh, yeah, we missed that part. That was all in the prequel. Whatever <laughs> that is. <laughs> uh, and then... I thought the opening scene was really interesting with um, 
the grandpa and the young boy. Yeah. And uh, knighting him with the, <laughs> you know, the responsibility. The family of responsibility. This, you know, this falls on you. Right. So he must have been an only child. Yeah. But uh, I think that really sets up his um, his attitude about this is serious and this is real and this is something to Yeah, he in. kind of feels the weight of his family's honor on his shoulders. And yeah. His family gets laughed at for being conspiracy theorists and stuff. Right. And uh, not taken seriously in the historical scholarship community. And he seems to really care about the his the history of, of the thing, you know. Right. Like right. that's always kinda his main driving thing is that he wants to find it for the sake of its historical value and not really how like not the monetary intrinsic kind of value, but like yeah. that it's important for like uh for people, culture yeah. and people and yeah. Right. History. Right. All right. Any other uh, overall thoughts? Well, <laughs> we can take our break if you don't have any. I guess I have nothing. <laughs> Jordan, you also have nothing. I suppose so. I already think I said, yeah, yeah, I'd give it about a B. It's a, it's a mostly good time. Yeah, I'd agree with your rating. All right, so we're all at a B on National Treasure. All right, well, very good. Let's take our break and we'll come back. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom. Ding dong. <laughs> Just where I am. In the bell? <laughs> Inside the Liberty Bell. Wait, there were two bells. Whoops, I cracked it. Oh, no. <laughs> now it's ruined. <laughs> It'll never ring again. <sighs> All right. Enough of our skit. <laughs> <laughs> Our skit that we were just doing. We were improving. Oh, I see. In a manner related to the whole podcast thing. This is the Worldview Media Podcast. <laughs> All right. 
And we're talking about National Treasure. And it's time for us to talk about worldview issues and what sorts of messages are being preached through this film. The Cinematic Achievement. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So... What do you see as themes, or do do any uh, do any particular messages kind of leap out at you? What was preached here? Well, I think uh, probably a big one is the sort of the importance of like history and knowing like where you come from and all of that kind of thing. I kind of feel like you see that quite a bit because mm. he he gets to the treasure because he knows about his country and, and all of this founding stuff. So sort of the value of, yeah, knowing your history kind of, kind of, but does up, he I know think. that because of the thing with his grandfather, where suddenly he's given this responsibility that this is now falling on your shoulders. So you need to remember these things and, and take them seriously and know them or, well, I'm sure that was part of it. I'm sure that's, a big spur for why he learned all that stuff. I would guess that was his motivation in gathering yeah. all the information. But he still had to know it. Right. He wouldn't have gotten anywhere if he didn't. You know, I feel like they treated it more like... I mean, Jordan said that the maybe the theme was something about the importance of history, but mm-hmm. I felt like there were moments when they treated history like it had religious significance. You know, like uh, the way that they... They acted like the Declaration of Independence was nearly sacred at times, mm-hmm. you know. And, and when they got in a historical place where, the, like, the Declaration was signed, even though people are chasing them and stuff, they have to take a moment take a to moment just think about about how significant it is that this thing that we're holding was signed here in this room. And let's all take a deep breath and just have a moment of silence or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. it, it seemed like there was a little bit of, uh, a little bit of maybe exalting history almost to the point of being a, a uh, religious uh, significance. Yeah. I probably, Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, I think that happens. That's probably true. Yeah. What about you? Well, and then I think, you know, when he's talking to the girl and saying, you know, here's to high treason and recognizing what the Founding Fathers did and that it really was an act of treason, but they did it because it was the right thing to do. And so that concept is in there as well. Sometimes the right thing to do is an act of treason. And if it doesn't go right, you could be paying the penalty for that. But that there is something about doing the right thing. Now, having said that, how can you determine what's the right thing? Right. It's chaos. (laughs) That's a recipe for chaos and anarchy without the law of God. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a standard that that uh, will really show you what objective and transcendent uh, righteousness looks like, then if we preach that you should do what you think is right regardless of what the human law says, well, we're preaching anarchy if we don't mean you must follow God rather than follow men. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and that is what we mean. And I think, you know, whatever the religious commitments of the founders were, and, and I'm not saying they were all born-again believers or, or that their theology was great, but they did live in a time where there was a, 
cultural Christian consensus yeah. and this idea that God's law was superior to man's law, and right. and you couldn't you couldn't break the one in order to keep man's law. Well, and, even in yeah. the Declaration, who has given them these rights? Right. You know, it wasn't the king. It wasn't uh, their governor. It was God. Yeah, and then. I like the quotation from the declaration that they used. Mm -hmm. You know, on July 4th, you'll hear the declaration quoted, but it's just the first line about, we hold these truths to be self-evident, and, uh -huh. and here are the rights we have. But I think the really culturally shocking line is the one that says, there does come a time when if the, if the government is subverting these rights and not protecting them and trampling on them mm -hmm. and making people slaves, then you not only have a right, but you have a duty to cast that government off and fashion a new one that will protect your rights. Yeah. And uh, uh, that's kind of a controversial thing. Nobody quotes that anymore. And it was quoted in the, yeah. in the movie. I didn't quote it. I just summarized it. But... Uh, I appreciated that they talked about that and that they they did make that a, a point in the movie that uh, in Benjamin Gates stealing the Constitution to protect it, he felt like he was following in the footsteps of founders who knew mm -hmm. that they had to disobey in order to protect what needed to be protected. Right. So I thought that was a, a neat message and I was happy to see that in there. My... I think the overall message, it feels to me like this whole movie was a paid advertisement for the Masonic <laughs> Temple. You know, I it felt like Mason, Masonic Temple propaganda. We're gonna have a pledge drive. We're gonna get a whole, we're Come gonna join. we're gonna get a whole new crop of recruits for <laughs> local Masons and. Yeah. And here's our movie. So are movie. there, like, requirements to be a Mason, or anybody can be well, a Mason? Well, you have to be invited, I believe. Oh. You can't just go join. I didn't know if it was, like, the Daughters of the American Revolution. Uh, or... No, I think you have to go join. And then, so I thought it was, I thought that was really interesting. And I admit, the first time I saw it, I was like, dang. That'd be kind of cool to be part of, <laughs> to, to be, be part, part of, of this, history. like, uh, secret society that's, got all these noble aims and yeah and uh you know you're really the descendants of these knights and stuff how cool is that yeah, yeah. so i can see the i guess i can see the attraction and yeah. and how that would fire up your imagination and stuff and yeah i've always thought that idea of the the fictional setup of secret societies that are waging wars that nobody knows about. I've always, <laughs> I've always liked those stories and been attracted to them. But uh, and, and I, you know, I know people who are Masons now, and I don't get the feeling that they're in it <laughs> for the fact of for the sake of doing anything noble. You know, they're mm -hmm. they're making business connections and yeah. networking and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Nothing really fun. <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you say all those things and it just reminds me of, you know, that's really what a Christian should be. Somebody who's waging war against... Right. Yeah. Maybe not quite such a secret society. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but if, if you've got a society that's dominated by lies and by 
people who hate the telling of the truth and mm. stuff like that, then mm. then what should a real Christian church look like? Well, it should look subversive. You mm. know, it should be acting in Going such against. a way that the culture says, "This is treason." You guys yeah. are, you know, and the first Christians weren't put to death because of their religious. Uh, picadillos they were put to death because people saw them as subversive to the civil as order to yeah. the government yeah. order and uh, and I think it's a damning thing to look at the way the evangelical church in America today is generally put up with and ignored by a culture mm-hmm. that kills over a million babies every year yeah. and uh, you mean the church that maybe has an illusionist <laughs> To, to drum up some people walking through the door because right. sure. the gospel ain't enough. Joyce is referring to the fact that a large church in our small town is having a quote-unquote revival and they've given up. They've uh, Well, is that the right word? They've. Uh, <laughs> it used to be that churches having revivals would invite in revival preachers yes. and we all knew that's what was happening. Yeah. And then the revival preachers started to be more and more entertainers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we could all see that too. And now they've just dropped the whole preacher thing and they advertise them as great family entertainment. And Because uh, that's what you want at church. We're not even going to tell you <laughs> that there might be some preaching in there or something. But, uh, yeah, so in a church, in a... If your culture is is killing, you know, 3,000 babies a day in the United States, and the, it really does beg the question, what do faithful Christians, what should they look like in the midst of that culture? And it should be a, it should be a subversive, treasonous society. If we're not seen that way, if we're not seen as dangerous or as a threat to the status quo, we're probably not doing stuff right, you know. Hmm. So we should be a well. I I see what you're saying, but I still think you can't just be seen as dangerous and subversive. I mean, you still got to be seen as somebody with integrity and somebody who has standards, and not just yeah. But oh no, there that's comes that what's crazy dangerous. guy. <laughs> that's well, exactly yeah, what's but, dangerous. So. But there are dangerous, subversive people out there that aren't Christians, <laughs> and so I just want to clarify that. You know, we've had some some serious things happen in our area recently yeah, with people right. having guns and walking around and being dangerous and subversive and that's not uh, what you're endorsing <laughs> no but of course I'm not I'm not endorsing criminal activity or degenerate behavior but I am saying that in a culture that does all these things uh, if the church is not seen as some kind of dangerous institution in the middle of that culture we're probably not doing things right if we're just getting along and we're basically friends with the culture that's acting this way that can't that can't hardly be right can it so oh a point of trivia i wanted to point out that okay no not trivia because (laughs) (laughs) reading about the templars and and their history is a little bit of a I mean, I've read a few books. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And I've read a few books on how the Templars are involved in, like, uh, a the lot of conspiracy theories and <laughs> stuff like that. I was just going to say, you know, when they, 
when they open up that giant treasure room at the end of the movie, National Treasure, uh-huh. there's no Holy Grail, there's no Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And you know why that is. Cause it's because it's in Oak Island. Those are at Oak, Oak Island. <laughs> That's right. All right. <laughs> you know where it is, it's all right. <laughs> we'll never get to it. We need to get the Gates family to Oak Island. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I still think it's really funny that it's a non-Mason guy that actually solves it all and brings to light the Just treasure. Just a history and, guy. Yeah. yeah. But that, you know, it's this big Masonic treasure and it's somebody that's not a Mason who brings it all to light. Yeah. It turns out at the end, the plot twist is that the the agent that's in charge of tracking down Benjamin Gates is a Freemason himself and uh with a traditional pinky ring. Yeah, and <laughs> so he knew without being told about the treasure and what it was, he knew he kinda knew all about it. At least what it was. He didn't know it had been there. Right. But you almost got the feeling like uh he was on the side of protecting this treasure yeah. as well as trying to get the declaration back and stuff like that. Yeah. So that was kind of a reveal at the end. Yeah. That the kind shocking, of adds a whole new the dimension. Twist. <laughs> yeah. dun, dun, dun. All right, any other did you see anything else being broadcast? I almost felt like that issue of trying to vindicate my family. Oh yeah. That was a big deal. And and really, that carries on to the next national treasure, right? The the bad guy. Oh yeah. That's what he's trying to do is vindicate his family. Right, because he was somehow history. tied to Lincoln or something. Isn't he a descendant of John Wilkes Booth or something like that? Some or like some co-conspirator or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so but, he like frames the Gates family. It's all very convoluted. Right. Puts him in a bad light again. Again. They were just getting things going good. So the interesting question then is to ask, you've got these folks that are really freaked out about history and they're, and wanting to vindicate their view of history. And to me, I see a parallel with kind of things going on in the United States now with the, like, uh, the whole move to get rid of Confederate statues and stuff and mm-hmm. to erase the... Supposedly, we're going to erase the history by getting rid of these statues. And, right. And what do you do with that argument? And I think... Uh, I really think that the biblical view of history is that if you don't, if you don't see history as the progress of Christian faith through, over the course of time, you're not viewing it right. You're viewing it as an isolated set of facts and data and trivia like is in this movie. And, right. And so I think the only way to really protect history is to interpret it in, in the light of Scripture and see it, like I said, as the development of Christian faith over time. Mm. And when you do that, then I don't think things like statues and... Uh, sacred sites and all all of that. I'm not sure that those are terribly important when you see that history is really about the extension of the kingdom of God and that's where it's important. So and it does seem like what the movie is doing and what may be being done in all the history fights that are going around 
it, it almost turns into a tribal thing. It's about vindicating my family over the course of history versus your family over the course of history. And, mm -hmm. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think... Well, if you're really going to look at the people that any monument is made to, yeah. you're going to find that they're flawed. Sure. You're going to find that they did things that were wrong and evil if they wanted to do it or not, because that's the nature of man. You know, we yeah. we tend to do those things regardless. And so, I mean, how far do you take that with, okay, we'll take down these statues, but we're going to leave these up because right. they weren't quite as bad. Or, you know, it's just, it's, it seems kind of ridiculous to yeah. me. Well, the whole fight is a little bit ridiculous. Because then, you know, well, why, why do we have some things up at the Capitol? Right. You know, those men were slave owners. They were, yeah. you know, they weren't always above board in their business dealings. <laughs> or yeah. personal dealings, you know. Yeah. And right. so, where do you draw the line? Where right. do you stop that? Well, what bothers me more, just to get on my hobby horse here. <laughs> if we're going to Wait, talk let's get the horse out. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> How is this horse going to fit in the bell? <laughs> yeah. Hobby's a small horse. <laughs> well, I'm surprised it stands up to you so well. <laughs> Calm down, Hobby. <laughs> uh, you talked about the fact that everybody acts shocked when we look back in history and the, and the heroes that we have were not perfect. We have that going on present day there are christians who exalt certain members of the united states government mm -hmm. to a level of hero worship mm -hmm. and they're not even dead yet and mm -hmm. they yeah they ascribe to them hero status and they get mad if you question that mm -hmm. and i'm talking specifically about military and the police mm -hmm. the police especially it shocks me how many christians are willing to stand up and say police are generally good what happened to the understanding that there is none good, no, not one? You know, yeah. How does a how does a Christian come to the point of saying that once you've put on a badge and taken an oath and now you have a gun that suddenly you're good? No, you're not. You're you're a sinner who now has a badge and a gun, and uh, and you should be viewed with a great deal of suspicion as any person standing next to you with a gun should be viewed, and. Uh, this willingness to exalt those types and, and put them in on pedestals and get mad if you question them or get mad if you insult them or or mock them in some way even if they deserve it. That can't that can't be right. That can't be comporting with the revelation of scripture. All men are sinners. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you have a badge and a gun just means you're a sinner with a badge and a gun. Which means you should probably be watched more carefully and uh and trusted less even and, and so uh we do the same thing with the monuments and the, the heroes from history and all of that but mm -hmm. i really feel like if we keep that biblical view of what history really is the development of christian faith over the centuries uh then does it really matter if we find noah's ark you know really does it matter no it doesn't matter to me and if and if I never get to go to Jerusalem, and if we never really are sure where the tomb of Jesus was, and I never get to stand in the doorway of that tomb, have I lost something? 
No, I, I totally haven't. And, uh, and I just feel like that that's a valid view in terms of history as well. Learn from the history, know it, you know, don't believe lies about it and all that, but if they take down a statue of a guy that I happen to like from history, does that does that hurt me? I I don't think so. So I don't know. Hmm. There you go. There you go. You're all in stunned silence <laughs> sitting here. Ah yes. I'm still impressed about the horse. <laughs> is what it is. Yeah, it hasn't trotted off yet. <laughs> Hobby's a good horse. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> All right. Well, do y'all have anything else? Any other message come through with National Treasure for you? Well, I noticed a thing that was not touched on very much, but. Uh, Nicholas Cage kind of talks about it for a second with his dad about how maybe their real family legacy is sons disappointing their fathers. <laughs> right. Because, like, he is doing all this treasure stuff, which is a disappointment to his father, and his father kind of gave up all this treasure stuff, which was a disappointment to his father. And right. So this sort of, like... A, like this cycle of yeah. of like expectations and and not meeting those that kind of rang with you. <laughs> well, no, I was just like, ooh, that's savage <laughs> for him to say because it's like he's accepting it, but he's also pointing a finger. And I don't know, it was just this sort of cyclical thing that was interesting yeah. to me. Right, right. Hmm. Well, I. That just reminds me of the, you know the sins of the father going down through, right, through your generations, and so I just say, hmm, well, it kind of makes sense. Yeah, I've always liked the fact that once you, once you come to Christ, and once you're in the family of God, there's a sense in which your family history is rewritten. Yeah, you know that mm-hmm. we belong to a different family. I've, I'm now grafted into a different tree than I was naturally growing out of. Yeah, and me, the Gentile, uh, with family from the Scottish Highlands and all that, <laughs> uh, I get to talk about my father Abraham and what he did, and and Father David, and wasn't it great when? Great great grandpa David was the king, and, <laughs> and you know that's all my family. And I'm I'm grafted in, and so that's kind of an interesting note, history-wise as well. Yeah, that Christ rewrites your family and your past and and all that, in a sense. In right. a sense. Well, and history is still an important thing to know. It's important to know your roots and where yeah. you come from and. Yeah. What those things mean, especially as a Christian. Sure, that's right. And it's precisely because we believe that God is in charge of history, and history is not a random collection of events and names and dates and all mm-hmm. that. And precisely because of that, we think that there is there are lessons to be learned from it's history. Purpose. In right. the same way that, like an atheist, really doesn't have any philosophical reason for doing the scientific method because just because something has worked out this way here doesn't mean you can count on it to be that way later without a without a theistic without a biblical basis for 
reality and uh, in the same way when a when an atheist looks at history there can't be any lessons to learn because it's just it's meaningless. matter bouncing off of matter and for no purpose and stuff like that so right. so it's really history has things to teach the believer because it is the progress of Christian faith over time. <laughs> Wait, I think I've heard that maybe once or twice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I don't have anything else. What do y'all got? I guess that's it for me. Well, I'm getting on this horse thing. <laughs> getting out of here. Riding off into the sunset. <laughs> there goes Mama Joyce on, on Hobby the Horse. <laughs> Uh, it's too bad you can't hear the clip-clops walking away. <laughs> we need to get us a coconut and cut it in half. Who's banging the coconuts? <laughs> Next week. <laughs> Tune in for oh, another podcast. <laughs> and maybe Hobby comes back. Joe, it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> Go out there and dominionize. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Worldview Media Podcast. Please visit reconstructionistradio.com to check out the other podcasts in our network and to download our free audiobooks. <laughs>